Well, as we've been talking about, we're in this series called This Time Tomorrow. I love the concept. I just think it's so great that God would be with us in wherever we're going to be this time tomorrow. It isn't just about a Sunday thing, it isn't, it's, but it's where we show up tomorrow. Um, we, uh, we heard from a few people, we heard from some of the places that they have been, that they're working, that where how God led them. We, last week, if you were here last week, we talked to Jens and he's making marshmallows. I think there's more to it than that, but... Uh, we, had, we talked to Ben, who was a, a, worked in video games. Who else did we talk to? We talked to, to Valerie, who was a counselor. Maybe those were different services. It was so fun just to hear what God's doing, that tomorrow, you guys, we're all gathered here today to worship Jesus, but tomorrow, this time tomorrow at 11.20, where are you going to be at 11.22 tomorrow? Get the picture in your mind. Chris is going to be playing solitaire, and some corporation's going to be paying him for that. I don't know how that works. Um... <laughs> Kevin's going to show up at school and uh, be with an advisee. Where, where are you going to be? And can we get our heads around this truth that God's going to be there with you? We've been talking about the theology of work. I want to interview a couple more people. Can I do that? Isn't it funny? Fun to hear stories. You just hear everybody's stories. You hear all the different places that people work and where God has them and how God got them there and what God wants to do and what he's put in their hearts to do. This is us, friends. This is us. We're a great church that gathers together. We love being together on Sundays, but it's all about what's happening this time tomorrow because that's God doing his thing. So we're talking about the theology of work. I'm just going to review the, points that I, the two points that I made last week as part of a, a definition of the theology of work and camp on the last two uh, points that I sort of uh, barely alluded to last week. And so if you took notes last week, you're way ahead, you know where we're going. If you missed it, great, you get caught up today. I want to look at this idea of how our work and God's work work how we get connected, how do we bring God into our lives, the theology of work. So we started with this idea that God created work. That's the beginning of the theology of work. God created work. I took you to Genesis, and, we, the, and one of the verses in that, in that passage, Genesis 2.15, sort of the summary of the deal, the Lord God took the man, it was before the woman was created, thank God he got around to creating a woman, but it was before the woman was created, God took the man that he had made. And he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God had done this creative work, and then he brought men and then women along to work it with him, to do work. It's part of God's creative aspect that he gave us work to do with him in his work. It wasn't like creation happened so long ago and then God's out of the picture. God's been sustaining the world, and he's used our work as part of his work. And that's that second point, that God created work as part of his work in the world. God's doing stuff in the world. He's taking care of the world. He's making the world go around. He's he's providing food for people. He's providing purpose for people. And he's created work in order for that to be uh, how we achieve those things. And so our work becomes his work in the world. Just like this God who created the earth and then is taken care of it by his power that holds even every atom together, we are part of that structure by working and helping things get made, people get fed, blessing coming, the kingdom of God coming. We talked a whole bunch about this last week. You can go look at the sermon online if you, if you missed it. God created work as part of his work in the world. The verse that we looked at is in Colossians chapter 3. And it says this, it says, whatever you do, work it out with all your heart is working for the Lord. So whatever you do, your work is working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Get that. You're not working so that you can get a salary. You're not working because, well, dang, everybody's got to work. You're working 
as a servant of Jesus, and your reward is going to be this heavenly reward. It's a spiritual concept. Listen, no work is unspiritual. God created it and gave it to you and said, now serve me in it. And then the last phrase, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's not, you should sort of think of your boss like it's God and that'll help you act better. That's not what it's saying. It says you're serving the Lord Christ. You're serving Jesus in your work. That's kind of a foreign concept for us, right? That you actually go into work thinking, I'm serving Jesus here. But that's what the scriptures teach. God created work as part of his work in the world. Now, turning the corner to get super practical and pragmatic around our theology of work, the next part is, and he gave you your work. He gave it to you. He gave you your work, the work that you do tomorrow, school, retired, your avocation, your vocation, the stuff that you're going to be at at 11.33 tomorrow, God gave that to you. Do you believe that? Now, now the truth is, some of you are struggling with it. The truth is, some of you are just like, no, God didn't give that to me. That's a stupid law that I have to go to school every day. Or... God didn't give that to me. That was my last resort because I blew it when I was in, in college or I made the wrong choice here or I, like, I, God didn't give it to me or I think God was telling me not to take this job but I took it anyway because they were throwing money at me. That was, that's me. That was my story. <laughs> so some of you have this idea like, I don't know that that's true that God gave me my work. But friends, listen, when we think about the sovereignty of God and how God works, you, you've heard this from us before. You have to be clear on this, this thing. Listen, when you were a sophomore in college and you sinned and didn't end up in the major you should have ended up in, because every one of us is a sophomore in college sinned. Some of us bigger than others. You sinned in college. You were outside of God's will. And all kinds of crazy things happened. You were supposed to be an art history major and you missed it. Well, you know what? The moment you turn your heart toward Christ, wherever you are, whether you missed it in the past, whether you half got it, wherever you are now, when you turn your heart to Christ, is the center of God's will for you. Do you understand that? You may have, you know, the butterfly effect, you may have dated the wrong guy in, you know, in high school and it changed the trajectory of what college you wanted to go to and therefore what job you were going to get and then therefore, I mean, everything changed down through the, the ages because you made some stupid mistake. But the truth is, in the sovereignty of God, when we turn around and we surrender ourselves to Jesus, we're in the center of his will at that moment. We've said it this way, there's no plan B in the kingdom of God. There's only a new plan A. God doesn't abandon you too. Man, I had an incredible life designed for you. <laughs> you should see it. Man, me and the angels just reflect all the time how different it is than the one you're in right now. <laughs> it's amazing. They don't, it doesn't happen. Where you are is the place that God has you. And if you turn yourself to submission to Jesus, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. When you turn yourself into submission to Jesus, you are in the middle of God's will. So God has placed you there. God gave you this job. So where you are going to be at 11.35 tomorrow is the center of God's will. It raises this question, but people go, okay, well, it doesn't really feel like my calling. Well, let me talk about calling. Let's talk about the word calling. You say, is this my calling? Is tomorrow where I'm going to be tomorrow and the job that I'm doing tomorrow, is this my calling? I love that word. 
Some people are lucky enough to kind of say that thing. This is my I had a conversation with a guy today who said, you know, this is my calling. And we know what that means. It's beautiful. It's a deep and rich feeling. What it means is it's, 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 it's internally driven spiritually. And if I interpreted my brother right this morning in that conversation, what he's saying is, man, the stuff I get to do every day, like it comes from a really deep and spiritual and place. Like it's so rich and good. Well, that's, and I was made for this kind of an idea. That's so great. That is awesome. But to be clear about the language, friends, let's talk about calling. Is this my calling? The job that you're going to be at tomorrow, is this your calling? I want to say yes and no. Yes in the sense that in the way that we just talked about the sovereignty of God, you have been placed in this thing. And so it is your calling to get up and go to work, to go to school, to go do the things that God has on your plate. That's your calling. You've got to go do that. And so God has arranged it for you to be at that place and to go and work and to take care of your family or to take care of your responsibilities or to take care of your bills or to pay your taxes or do all the things you're supposed to do as a responsible human. Yes, it's your calling. God has orchestrated your story. That's why whenever we're going to do these interviews, we're going to hear people a little bit talking about their story. Where'd your story go? How did your story end up having you there? How did that work out? It's like, well, I was pre-med, but then didn't get into med school, so I sold drugs. It's fascinating, right? Everybody's story is so interesting. So yes, it's your calling in that sense that God gave that to you. The sovereignty of God, Paul preached about it in, 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 uh, in Acts in, um, when he was preaching to the, the uh, Athenians in, the Athen, you know, in Athens, and, uh, and he said to them, man, this God who's sovereign, he has, he has created the race of humankind, and he has placed them where he wanted them and set for them the boundaries of their land. He's caused them to live where he wants them to live. So you being born now in this time, in this family, in this place is part of God's calling on your life. So yes, this is your calling. Tomorrow, this is your calling. But I have to be really clear with you, and I think it's going to shape the way we think about work, and it shapes the rest of my sermon for sure. But this idea that it's not your calling. What you're doing tomorrow is not your calling in this sense. When you look scripturally about our calling, you don't find people being called to a vocation. You don't even really necessarily call people being called to ministry. Like, we use that term in ministry, like, well, I was called to ministry at this point, and we're going to celebrate in this annual meeting that we're having coming up this week. We'll have some, some ordinands talking, and they'll come share about their call, okay? It's language we use, frankly, that I'm not so sure it's super accurate and appropriate. We don't even use the word calling in scriptures that way. I was called to this. Here's your calling in scripture. It's the only way calling is talked about. We are called to be in a fellowship with Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's the only calling in our lives. That's the calling in our lives. i got to go look for my calling. You have a college student going, I'm wondering what my calling is. We go, man, you could do all kinds of vocations. You're probably going to be good at this. You're not going to be good at that. And try to get into med school, but you, you probably won't get in. Maybe we can tell people that. They go, what's my calling? We are going to tell them, your calling is to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's what scriptures teach about calling. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says that exact thing. It's the, it's the text about he has called you into fellowship. That means a relationship, right? You know that word. He has called you into a relationship with Christ, with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what calling means, friends. That's what biblically is called. Your calling is biblically more than a vocation. It's more than a specific job. It's about being in a relationship with Jesus. Now, you see where that goes. So look at this phrase that I wrote down, this thought. So if you are in a relationship with Jesus, if you are in fellowship with Jesus, it doesn't matter what job you have. You're still living out your calling. Do you believe that? 
If you, this is the point of human life for you to be in a relationship with Jesus. And so if you are, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. In fact, we so exalt our careers and we exalt what we do and we judge people who do stuff that's below us or above us or we're impressed or we're judging. Our calling is not about vocation. It is simply one of the many things that God does when he calls us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. That's our calling. So if you're in fellowship with Jesus, it doesn't matter what job you have. Your calling is being lived out. But conversely, No matter what job you have, no matter what you do, if you're not in fellowship with Jesus, you're not living out your calling. No matter what you do, no matter what job you have, no matter if you have this amazing job, no matter if you did get into medical school and you're a doctor and you're saving lives every day and all that kind of stuff, it's like, awesome, that's so great. But you're not living out your destiny as a human being created in the image of God unless you're in a relationship with Jesus. That shapes our theology of work because we start to think of ourselves as sort of these, these, these one-dimensional people that do this 50 hours a week, and that's our deal. And we're either that's our calling, we're excited about it, or we're not that into it, or we're judging ourselves, or, we're, or our souls are dying slowly, or whatever. But that's not our life. That's not our life. It's just what we do a bunch of the time. Now, that's not to take away from the fact that God in His sovereignty put you there to work with Him. But it isn't the end of the story. Your calling is to be in a relationship with Jesus. So I just have to remind you and ask you, are you in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord? I mean, tomorrow when you get up, is that your identity as you go to the work that God has given you to do? That you are in fellowship with Jesus, our Savior. Because that's what gives meaning and life and purpose to whatever it is you do. And I, and I also want to remind you and call you into it, friends. Being in fellowship, being in a relationship with Jesus can start immediately. And so if you have not ever said yes to a relationship with Jesus as your Lord, as the real God who you can have a relationship with and learn to hear and to follow and to be obedient to, and surrender your life to him. If you've never said, yes, I want to start that relationship, you can say it right now. That's a great, that's so amazing. This is good news of Jesus. And so I ask the question before you even go any further talking about work, your calling is to be in fellowship with Jesus. Are you? And if you have, does that shape how you get up in the morning and how you go to work and how you do your work? Because that's your calling. He gave you your work. And last, and this is what I'm, I'm getting at with all, all of that talk, he gave you your work to be with him. So God created work as part of his work in the world, and he gave you your work, he gave it to you to be with him. He gave it to you to be with him in it. He said, I want to be with you in this. This is what I'm going to give you. I want to be with you. Why? Because your calling is to be in fellowship with God's son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I'm going to be with you in this. Look at the word with, the emphasis of the word with with there. This is the concept in Scripture of being in Christ and Christ being in us. There's a withness to this God thing. It is not a religion of a God out there who taught principles and we try to live some of them out. It's not this sort of uh, um, uh, spirit force that somehow affects us for good. This is a living, personal God whose son Jesus came 
as a man, died on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with God, and His Spirit now comes to live in us. So there is a witness to God. See, all of what I'm talking about right now is going to be about the Christ being in us. So I'm going to talk about that. I want to talk about what it looks like to be at work with God, the witness of God. So three things I'm going to give you homework for each of those. So get your, get your you like that teacher? You like that, Kevin? Homework for all three points. What does it look like to be with God? Number one, I submit to his leading. What does it look like to be with God? I submit to his leading, his leading. See, this is the, it is the Lord Christ you are serving, Colossians 3 said. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's the Lord. It's my Lord. It's the one who, to whom I am submissive. Is the one I'm responsive to. I submit to his leading. I serve Jesus. This is what it looks like to be with him. I submit to the, his leading in my life. Like, okay, Lord, I'm yours. Now, all what I'm going to talk about right here is going to be dependent on our understanding of the Holy Spirit. As I just explained just a minute ago, that once we come to become a, a believer in Jesus and we say yes to this relationship of being in fellowship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. The Spirit of God comes to live with us. And some of you are like, I'm trying to be basic about it because some of you are like, I know, I know, I so know that. It's so basic. I hope so. Some of you are saying that. And some of you are like, I need that reminder. That's right. The Holy Spirit is in me? Okay, that's, that's a game changer. And some of you, like me, who got introduced to this thing later in life, you're like, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yes, I know. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, right? So he is with us. In fact, let's look at a verse about the Holy Spirit being with us. This is Jesus. This is Jesus at the very end of his ministry. He's with his disciples. He's been teaching them. It's in John 14. And, um, and Jesus says to them, I'm going to go. It's time for me to go. So they've been following Jesus, listening to his teaching. And he goes, I'm going to take off. But I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or another counselor or one to come alongside you to help you and to be with you forever. Jesus is like, I'm with you now, but the Father's going to send something else, someone else to be with you, to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and say it with me, and will be in you. You're going to know the Spirit of God. We can go verse after verse after verse about, about this stuff. I will not leave you as orphans. It's not like Jesus came and said, listen, you probably ought to live like Christians. You probably ought to honor God with your lives. You probably ought to, and good luck with that. He said, I'm going to send another to be with you, and he'll be with you, and he'll be in you. This is the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside. He's going to be with you. He's going to help you. And, and, and he says he's going to be this, he's, he calls him the spirit of truth. Two chapters later, Jesus, in talking more about the Holy Spirit, says, He's the, when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all the truth. He'll guide you into all of it. He's going to lead you. So go back to what we're talking about. How is it that I'm with God at work? I submit to his leading. I submit to his leadership by his Holy Spirit in my life. This is going to be an interactive engagement with the very real God whose spirit indwells me if I've said yes to a fellowship with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. I will be engaged with a very real God whom I will learn to hear and he will lead me to be his person in my work. 
That changes everything, doesn't it? I'm going to submit to his leading. We're listening. When we hear something or sense what God's telling us to do, we're going to be obedient in it. We're going to walk in the steps of Jesus according to his teachings. So if that's the case, we're going to serve all. We're going to love all. We're going to be Jesus' people following in his way. How practically would that look? How might that look? Well, if I'm, how, would I, how would it look for me to submit to his leading? Well, let's ask him. Ask him at work. Ask him questions at work. God, what do you want to do in this project that I'm working on? God, we're up against something here. What do you want me to do here? What do you want to do in this encounter, in this conversation? God, I'm going to go into this doctor's office. He's always too busy to see me. Think his patients could benefit from this drug and from this change in the protocol. God, what do you want to do in this thing? Do you want me to get smacked down by a really nasty RN on my way in? Or do you want this to go? Like, what do you want to have happen here, God? And so we respond to his lead. How is it that I can get in touch with this person's heart and help them, this client, this customer? That's what it would look like. We would ask him, God, what do you want to do in my work today, in this task today, in this interaction today, in this phone call today? What do you want to do? Are we in the habit of asking God throughout our day, being with him in the middle of all that. We can also be in touch with our hearts, you guys. That's how it could look. Submitting to his leading is that we can get in touch with our hearts. See, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in our hearts. You know that you can trust your heart as a follower of Jesus? There's an Old Testament verse that says that the heart is desperately wicked. That is so true. But Jesus came and gave us a new heart, the scripture says, and indwells us by his spirit. Our hearts aren't desperately wicked. Our hearts are being aligned and transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. You can trust your heart. It's such good news. And so you can trust your heart at work. You can get in touch with your heart. Lord, I'm feeling this. Is this something I need to be paying attention to? Is this you talking to me? That's an engagement of being with Jesus at work. We just engage with him at the start of every project, on the start of every phone call, at every temptation to be critical. Hello, anyone? Or complaining. We submit to his leadership in that moment. What's going on for me, God? Why is that touching a button? What's my problem right here? What do you need to do in me? How do I need to see this? We submit to his leadership. We submit to his leadership about when to speak up and when to not speak up. Again, anybody not speak up at work? Any of you ever have that experience of driving home going, seriously, why couldn't I have just kept my mouth shut? (laughs) Just me and Ben? Okay. (laughs) Too close. (laughs) Here's your homework. Submitting to his leading, what if you chose to consecrate yourself? You know what that word means? Set yourself apart to be his servant every morning for the next five work days. You take this week and you park as far as you can from where you work or from the ferry or whatever, and as you walk, you consecrate yourself. Lord, I give you my work day. I give you my hands, my eyes, my thinking, my heart. I give you my soul. I am a servant of you. May this day be about serving you, Jesus? What if you consecrated yourself on the way to work? Just one small way of beginning your experience that day. And and maybe, here's another one. Here's a corollary, or maybe it's an added one, or maybe you like this homework better for this point. What if you set your, your alarm for 1151, 
And when it goes off to this time tomorrow, you look at what's in front of you on your desk, on your calendar. You look at where you're at in that moment and you ask Jesus one question about it. And just ask him to lead you. Okay, God, I got this lunch. Where, I don't, what do you want me to do with my lunch hour? Or I got this appointment at one and I'm nervous about it. Hmm, Jesus, what am I nervous about? What do you want to do in that hour? Is there anything I need to hear from you about me, about my, where I'm at right now, about my attitude toward this person, toward this meeting? What is your agenda for that meeting at one, God? Start talking to Jesus. Engage. Submit to his leadership. You like that? Those are two, two possible homeworks for you for that one. What does it look like to be with God? Submit to his leading. And there's some homework for you. Two, I practice his presence. That's what, that's what it looks like to, to be with God at work. I practice his presence. This is an old term. I love this term. It's the, I mean, literally, it's, pra, it's the discipline of remembering that God is here and that that changes everything. You practice his presence. God is here with you at work. God is here in this moment. God is here, this is what we say at work. God is with me in this office, in this mission, in this company, in these relationships, in this task. God is with me, and that changes everything. I'm going to practice the presence of God in this moment. Wow, God's here. How would that change how I'm living, acting, serving, working, decisions I'm making? How would this change if I was convinced that he is present with me in this moment? I may have told you before the story of when I was in junior high and a small group leader from our junior high group that was working with the junior high kids gave me and all my buddies, like these little wily guys, gave us all an 8 by 10 photo of Jesus, like photo of painting of Jesus with a big wooden frame around the outside of it and challenged us to carry it every day for five days. 24-7. You're 13, you do not want to be carrying a big old hunking sappy picture of Jesus around everywhere you go. It wouldn't fit in my locker. Like we took it to class. We took it to gym. We took it to the, the, the sports field after, the, after school. Like we carried the thing around everywhere we went. And his point was obvious. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are always with him. He's always with you. How does that change? It changed everything. We practice the presence of God in our midst. Consider the alternative of practicing his presence. The alternative is pragmatically becoming a Monday morning atheist. What does that mean? It means living in that part of my life like he doesn't exist. Living like he doesn't exist. Living like God's not present in our lives. And so it doesn't matter that I'm this God person when I'm this work person. That term Monday Morning Atheist came from this book that I was giving those guys. Um, these are out on the Have We Met table, by the way, and there's, one of them comes in a pack. Arc Solutions course did this, this series, and we loved it, so we put this series on our, our schedule to do a preaching series about it, but um, the Solutions class studied all this. Monday Morning Atheist is the book. There's a packet that has something called the switch kit. Switch kit, the light switch goes on, that we live differently. We live like God is present with us at work. So this is a fun little read and a fun little project. The Switch Kit has all kinds of online tools and um, questions for reflection. They'll send you texts, all kinds of good, goofy stuff. Really a helpful uh, thing. So five bucks out there at the Have We Met table if you want to get one, or ten bucks or zero dollars depending on your budget. Just go grab one. 
feel free, put a dollar in, have your kid go get one when I'm not looking, whatever you got to do. Uh, we're giving these away if you want to pay for them, five bucks and ten bucks, okay? Go grab one at the Have We Met table. Um, does somebody want one right now? Somebody's like, I wish I owned that book. Okay, Judson, you're the man. Here's the full one, okay? And then, here, this is coming to the crowd. Here we go. There you go. All right. So, but think about that. Think about this idea of that title is so intriguing, right? The Monday Morning Atheist, because that's the alternative of practicing his presence. It's living like God doesn't exist. It's living like I'm alone in this, and I'm left to solve my life on my own. I'm left to solve work on my own. I'm left to fix pr these problems on my own. Like, it's just me. Like, I'm doing this without God's help. You guys, the all-alone wound, the more pastoral care that I give and the longer I'm in ministry, this all-alone wound be, is kind of the greatest wound that I see exhibited in people's lives, that they live pragmatically like an atheist, like God isn't present in this marriage, in this problem, in this work, in this career, in my financial concerns. God's not present in that, and i got to figure it out. And I'm not sure how that became so prevalent in our culture that that's the main wound that we carry around, especially men who carry that wound around. It may just be that half of our parents got a divorce, and somewhere along the line, as a little kid, you're like, well, crud, okay, guess I'm doing this by myself. And that may have just permeated everything we do. But there's this atheism built into our, the way that we grow up, and we just go, I'm a Okay, and we forget that we have a God, as Linda led us in worship, we have a God who is with us and for us and will not forsake us. And as the scriptures in, in Jesus said in the scriptures in John, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to be with you. And work is where he's called us to do his work. And so our God is present. So we practice his presence. What could that look like? It could look like all kinds of, just a litany of reminders that we put in our lives to remind us, remind us, remind us. Tattoos, let's all get tattoos. I'm in, who's in? It could start, it could be as simple as be starting and ending your day with God. Everybody's schedule is different, everybody's commute's different, everybody's, some of you guys are on East Coast time, you got the market time, you, you got all kinds of craziness going on in your lives. If I could implore you, though, the simplest piece of advice I could give you for your spiritual journey, really, honestly, for the greatest impact, would be that you would organize your day so that you had 10 minutes, even 10 minutes, alone with God and with his word open, where you consecrate yourself and remember that he is with you and for you and in you, and that that day you're his servant even 10 minutes. I'm not even talking about being this whole superstar. I spent an hour with God. Nobody prays for an hour. You pray for an hour and nobody prays for an hour. You pray for a little bit and you fall asleep. No, just like release from the spiritual guilt, okay? But that you're with God and you say, God, I want to be your servant today. And then you go, what's that inside me, God? That's sort of some anxiety. Why am I feeling anxiety? It's because this job, God, because that person. And then you go, God goes, really? What's up with that person? Bring that person to me. And you're like, God, would you minister to me? And all of a sudden you're talking to God and you know what? An hour could go by. But if you had 10 minutes to begin your time with your day with God, begin and end your day with God, and the end of the day is, God, I saw you show up for me. You were present with me, weren't you? I felt it here. I saw it there. I didn't know it in the moment. I wasn't, I wasn't, I just didn't stop to think about it. But now I'm realizing you, oh, you were with me. All that anxiety I had, God, this came out. Oh, or that terrible situation that was worse than I even feared. You gave me grace in it. I can't believe we got through that. You, you see what I'm saying? Huge bang for the buck. Start and end your day with God. Here's your homework. 
Start the next five days with God and His Word for 10 minutes. And at the very end of it, say, God, you are present with me. Remind me of that all day. That's all you need to do. That's your homework. Practice his presence. Start, and start the day with God. And maybe you can end it with God if you want. I'm just giving you half a homework. If you... Here's a corollary. Maybe this is one that you want to do. Pick, one of, pick, pick a kind of reminder. Pick a, you know, set your, your little nerd watch to beep every, or your phone or whatever to beep every hour and go off every 55 minutes, and so then you stop and you take a quick walk around the floor or outside around the parking lot, and you say, God, you're present with me. In fact, the people in this office complex walk around our big circle parking lot. It's kind of a cool thing. There's something biblical about walking circles around somewhere in terms of consecrating it, right, and believing that God is covering it and that God is present and God is in it. Walk a loop around your, so maybe one time, this time tomorrow, maybe uh, every, you know, you take your cigarette break out there. Rich, go smoke and to go walk around and... <laughs> Rich doesn't smoke. And, uh, and remind yourself that God is present. Okay, I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you this last one. The last way that we... Um, what it looks like to work with God is that I access His power. The Scriptures are very clear that Jesus said that streams of living water will flow from within you. When Jesus ascended to heaven, He said... He said, I'm, uh, you're going to now receive power when the Holy Spirit goes on you. In Luke, Luke's account of it, he said, listen, don't go anywhere, but I'm going to send to you what I promised from the Father. Don't go anywhere, but, when, but I will clothe you with power from on high. You're clothed, listen church, you're clothed with power from on high. And so working with God is accessing that power. How does that look? What does that pragmatically feel like? It means that in everything that you're doing at work, you ask for his help, you breathe in God's power, you invite him to bring his results and his wisdom and his direction and his stuff out of what it is that you do. If we do not allow God, if we're not in this fellowship with God and not accessing his power, then our work and our lives become us-sized really fast. But God's given us his work our work, to work with him in his work. And we don't want it to be us-sized. And so we ask God for his power. So why don't you take one, here's your homework, take one task, one relationship at work, one thing you're facing this time tomorrow, and invite God's power into it. Test him in the positive way. Don't put the Lord you've got to test, but say, God, I want to see what you're going to do with this. Bring one thing in your work week before God and invite God's power in it and over it and then watch him work and watch your faith get built. And at the end of the week, write God thank you letter for how he blew you away by what he did in that. Well, there's a whole bunch of info and a whole bunch of homework. I'm hoping that in one of these things, submitting to his leading, practicing his presence, accessing his power, that you find a practical thing that you can implement this theology of work so that this time tomorrow you are with him and he is with you in new and fruitful ways. Why don't you stand? Let me give you a blessing.